Hey there. Have you heard of the Horizons Conference presented by Jobs for the Future? It's the premier national platform for ideas and action to drive equitable economic advancement for all. We are honored to have a narrative change partnership with American Student Assistance, ASA, to elevate high school intentional pathways, and we're excited to collaborate with JFF in an effort to change the way industry thinks about post-secondary pathways. Be sure to register for this year's Horizon Conference, which will take place June 14th and 15th in New Orleans. We need all of your voices to develop systems that work for everyone. Find out more at horizons.jff.org or at the link in the show notes. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. Over the last few years, we've covered numerous advances in technology, community agreements, and world priorities. However, how does this shape what learners should be able to do? What are the necessary learning goals that meet the demands of the future? On a recent Getting Smart Town Hall, we talked about various portraits of a graduate, graduate profiles, student learning goals, all with the hopes of identifying what students should know and be able to do. We were joined by Tim Taylor from America Succeeds to talk through some of the important work they're doing around durable skills as well. All right, let's jump in. We, we are, uh, I think Tony Wagner might be here. He's the one 25 years ago that taught me to uh, invite the community into a dialogue about what should kids know and be able to do? How has the world changed? What should they know and be able to do? And what kind of experiences do they need? That it's uh, Tony, we're still asking that question. And my, my proposition in the next five minutes is to, I guess, convince you that it's a good time to re-ask that question. I do think we were at a hinge in history at a new point in time where what we do next um, will matter for the next few hundred years, not just for the life of our kids, but uh, but long term. The last 20 years, the computer age, um, everything, uh, there was a datafication of, of everything. Every sector became computational, uh, including biology, and we invented a lot of new tools that um, are, are helping to reconsider life and the life that we bring into this world. Um, a set of wonderful gifts and and um, huge ethical challenges that come along with uh, with synthetic biology. We learned in the, in the last 20 years that um, we're living on a hot and volatile planet. We didn't do much about it in the last 20 years, but We've, we've neared consensus. Certainly there is scientific consensus that um, we not only need really aggressive mitigation, but are gonna have to adapt to a hot and volatile planet. I think in the next decade, every school on the planet is gonna have to have a sustainability agenda. Almost none of them do today, but it is, it's, it's clearly, um, I think registering as a, an issue we need to deal with and we need to introduce kids to ways in which we screwed up the planet. We're in this scary geopolitical recession, uh, kind of a new cold war, and we have all been abducted by social media um, attention harvest. I, I was kind of a social media optimist 10 years ago. I thought it would level us up. We'd be smarter and nicer and instead attention harvesting has made us stupid and mean. Um, what, what's new in the next, in the last couple of years? Well, AI really 
um, artificial intelligence, machine learning more generally grew into every single sector of the economy uh, in the last six years. And it just became readily apparent to everyone on the planet in the last six months that with the breakthrough of generative AI into the consumer market. Um, and I think this marks a new period in history. Um, one concerned with the way humans interact with machines. Um, that I think will shape the next 20 years along with, with uh, climate change it's this this change is speeded by hyperconnectivity. It, it's worth noting that um, in the last 36 months, for the first time in human history, we have experienced things simultaneously: disease, communication, uh, memes, and climate change. So now things infect the planet and almost instantaneously. The the background on Silicon Valley two weeks ago. It was partly because half the investment community just wasn't paying attention to the fact that the Fed was jacking up rates and they didn't shift their mental model quickly enough. The other half of it was that Peter Thiel got on social media and said, hey, I'm pulling my money out. And suddenly there was this mad rush for the bank. And it was really the bank run that caused the failure. And so here you have a combination of uh, mental models not shifting instantaneously to new conditions and hyperconnectivity and the combination caused uh, a lot of nervous, uh, a nervous weekend for a, a lot of folks. My, my punchline today, and it's the, the title of a blog that we posted this morning is, I think there's a new work paradigm, new problems, diverse teams, and smart tools. Um, Tony, um, like 20 years ago, you introduced me to Ron Heifetz and this idea of technical problems and adaptive problems. And technical problems are one that have right answers. And we've generally constructed school around technical problems or there's right answers for everything. Ron introduced us to this idea of adaptive problems that require new learning to solve. And because every sector has become so complicated, Atul Gawande really wrote about this beautifully in being mortal five years ago. He's a surgeon that said, it used to be I, I knew all that I needed to know, but now I got to work on a team of really smart people using smart tools uh, to, to be able to serve people better. So every sector has grown beyond the individual craftsman and it's almost always approached in a multidisciplinary team. And now AI is a new member of that team. Uh, so I think that's the paradigm for the, the next 20 years um, is diverse teams working on new problems or adaptive problems and using machine learning tools uh, to, to do that. And so that's really what I want to focus on today is if you, if you buy any of that construct, that work is now fundamentally different, that life and work are a, a new context. Uh, I want to ask this question that Tony asked me the he, he taught me in 1994 as, a, as, as our school district coach, invite community conversations about how's the world changed, what, what should kids know and be able to do, and what kind of experiences and learning journeys do they need. Um, and so we'd like to invite you into that, um, into that dialogue today. Um, 
I'm going to quickly show you a, a, a couple of ways that communities have responded to this, and I'm going to invite uh, Tim to talk about the work that America Succeeds is doing. So one way to answer this question is you, you can look at World Economic Forum, places like that, and look at lists of top skills. I think those are moderately useful inputs. Um, a lot of districts started developing these graduate profiles or learner profiles. Um, uh, South Carolina and, and uh, Virginia were early states. Um, North Carolina, no, no, North Dakota, Utah, Washington, uh, maybe a third of the states now are pretty well developed. Uh, POG, I think they're adequate. I don't think they're quite reflective of the new culture. Um, Grace is on uh, on the call, and Grace really helped develop the uh, NGOC MyWays, which is a beautiful framework that Grace, I think, is is still one of the most responsive to uh, to the new era. I love your four quadrants. Um, Rebecca's been working with our friends at XQ um, for the last five years and, and helped develop this framework and a, and a uh, set of rubrics behind us. Uh, Rebecca, do you think this, the XQ learner goals and, and now the student performance framework are, are pretty responsive? Yeah, we're getting there. I also want to I want to call out Sydney too, who's also on here from Redesign. I think was a part of the original beginning work of that, as well as the South Carolina one you just mentioned and shared. I would just point to original thinkers for an uncertain world and generous collaborators for tough problems are getting close to what we're talking about today. And I think there's still room for iteration. I think XQ would say that we're still doing some revision um, on this, but that was definitely the goal of that work. And we can share more out, and we'll get a, put a link in chat. Yeah, I, Rebecca, I guess um, you're you're calling out my my conviction. I, I guess I've just been recently convicted that entrepreneurial mindset is is so important. The um, spotting opportunities, um, framing problems, uh, I think, is a new and important skill. And I, as you said, Rebecca, I think XQ. Um, does a pretty good job of getting at that with original thinkers and generous collaborators. Um, there's a beautiful draft from Nevada. You've been working on that, Re Rebecca. I, I love that this is framed as questions. Yes. You can see that there's there's topics linked to each of these, but they're really doing a different structure with this draft version. As they are iterating around this, they are starting conversations with these questions. As topics come up, you can see how that's a part of it, but really starting with inquiry. Um, I think they have some support from KnowledgeWorks on this as well, but edX is the group that's really leading this work. So just highlighting that, and we will be sharing more of that in our blog as that develops. Rebecca, um, in our last book was called um, Difference Making, and it was really this invitation to contribution and how important it is to invite kids to do work that matters to them and their community and the agency that that develops. And so I, I love this first framing question of how do I contribute? It's, exactly. Uh, it, it's really beautiful. I also love the who am I um, and how do I connect and belong? Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of us spent the weekend uh, in San Diego with Cajon Valley um, at the World of Work Summit and, and the 500 participants there shared a commitment to 
um, to school as a place where we help young people gain a sense of strength, interest, and values through through cycles of immersion and inquiry and continuing to ask that question: uh, Who am I? What am I good at? What what, what do I what do I care mm -hmm. about? Um, yes, and, and Susan. Susan is also on here, Tom. I think she was at World of Work, and I know that that's been a big commitment with the work that she does as a superintendent. I love that you highlighted that connection. Susan, this does, I think this POG, this is in your new state of, of Nevada, gets at the promise that that you really highlighted in, in Highline of, of knowing learners by strength, interest, and need. I do see a connection there. And I, like you, I do appreciate the the question format here, but I wonder if, you know, for so many years we ask kids, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And, you know, more recently people have said, shouldn't we be asking kids, what problems do you want to solve? You know, to your point, um, Tom, there are a lot of problems we have to solve. And I think we're looking to our young people to do it. So I know this is in draft, but I would, I would want to, to, add that in as sort of looking to the future, contributing, yes, I get all that, but we need our kids to really be problem solvers. But yes, I do think this has the promise of knowing every student by name, strength and need, so they graduate prepared for the future they choose at the heart of it. It's good iterative work. Corey, I, uh, this is Corey Moan. I, I appreciate the, the push on, yeah, it's great that all these people are states and districts are doing POGs and then they go up on the website and then nothing different happens at, at school. Um, I think you and I have this conviction that, that you can name important skills, but that you also need to create a shared vision around what powerful learning looks like. And I'll show you a couple examples of places that have adopted not only a, a portrait of a graduate, but shared pictures of of great learning. And, and Corey, you know, based on the work that you do at CAPS, the Kansas City region is really committed to real world learning. And they have a set of agreements that we want all kids to have valuable experiences, including internships and client projects and uh, entrepreneurial experiences. So that, I think that agreement around what powerful learning looks like sits alongside and complements a POG and makes more likely that that will have transformed learning experiences. Do you, do you buy that, Corey? Yeah, I do. I you know I think that the <clears throat> the important thing is to things can very quickly get into the into buzzwords, right? Like everyone wants to say they're on board. Uh, back to your point about adaptive leadership, it's a completely technical solution to just say, well, we want to create a portrait of a graduate so we can say we did it and check the box. And it's not that it's not a great thing to create the portrait. It's that we have to make sure we follow through with actual activity that meets what the portrait is teeing up. Yeah, and That's the adaptive work. It involves people. It's messy. It's chaotic. Systems don't like chaos, but too bad. Like, it's what we have to do. <laughs> so appreciate the context yeah. point there, Tom. Uh, and thanks, Joey, for the... Um... The, the plug for work happening in Utah. We're excited about their, they have a great new portrait of a graduate and there's a number of projects that um, are coming alongside that to bring it to life. Um, Building 21 is a neat network. Um, it started in, in Philadelphia. I think of it as a platform network, beautiful competency framework. What I didn't know until um, Rebecca pointed out was this, this beautiful portrait of a graduate that sits alongside their competency map 
and I just love everything about it. It's finding my passion. Like, what am I interested in? What's my superpower? And then building agency, this confident knowledge of where and how to act on the world to make an impact. And I, so I, I just super love this idea of, um, of, of agency and impact focus. And they're building a network now of folks that are um, developing their model. I mentioned uh, I mentioned uh, difference making before uh, our book that came out uh, a year and a half ago. We borrowed from Seth Godin the idea that kids ought to learn leadership and problem solving, and and particularly agency and this entrepreneurial mindset. Um, I I dug this up from this is, came out in the um, 2021 uh, a report that came out in. Um, Two years ago, it's a global group was headquartered in Russia. The um, Pavel Lukshed has has now um, moved to the Netherlands for obvious reasons. But this is just maybe the most thoughtful, extended dialogue about what kids should know and be able to do um, that we have seen. And I, I love this framework um, of cognitive, tech, technical, socioeconomic, and and well being. Uh, they have a nice shout out for entrepreneurship in the socio-technical category. Um, here's their application to what should kids know and be able to do by sector. So they go through and look at um, both technical and, and durable skills and sort of rank them in importance uh, by sector. So that's, uh, we'll share the link to that. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, I think it's a super useful report. We have a great podcast with Pavel um, diving into detail. All right, last one. Um, I this is really my favorite framework right now. I'm I'm pretty captivated by this group of engineering schools. It's America's best engineering schools that have banded together um, in a, a keen network. It's engineering Unleashed. And here's what I think they get right. One is the commitment to entrepreneurial mindset. And the way they express it is, um, it starts out with opportunity spotting. Um, for, for 200 years, we've thought of engineering as just the design portion and using design thinking or computational thinking, a, a structured problem solving approach. But I, I love the fact that they backed up and said, we, we first need to start with the, the skill set of identifying a problem we're solving, a problem that's important to me, a problem that's important to the community. How do we frame and name that problem, that opportunity, and then uh, do solution development and, and then finish by delivering value to the community? I think this is a beautiful way to think about engineering. I, I, I think you can apply this to uh, to, to secondary as well as post-secondary education broadly. And I, I love their call-outs for curiosity connections and creating value as, as part of that mindset. Uh, you can read more about that in the blog we posted today. Um, but I think that's a, a, a neat way to think about outcomes. Uh, Tim, you, you started pre-pandemic by scraping tens of millions of job sites to try to study 
this inflection point and and try to better understand what kinds of skills were important for high wage high demand jobs um what did you find out yeah thanks tom um great to see so many uh friends colleagues uh folks who have inspired us and helped us think through this so um eager eager to to jump in and um, have a conversation and and also just a shout out to the probably most engaging and fast moving chat i've ever seen on a uh, on a call so um yeah, America Succeeds works at the intersection of business and education. And we started with what does demand side look like? So going out and asking employers, what are the skills that are most in demand? And we didn't ask. We actually looked at their job descriptions, their postings. And uh, we looked at 80 million job postings across the U.S. and found that across all industries, across all geographies, and regardless of education attainment level, seven of the top 10 most in-demand skills by employers were what we call durable skills. Um, durable skills is how you use what you know, critical thinking, collaboration, communication, and then how you show up, uh, the metacognition, the leadership skills, the growth mindset. Um, and really, this was this is employer-led. This is just what employers are asking for. So the, the chart that you see uh, starts with the inner circle, the 10 characteristics uh, that we started with, which are scraped from and, and borrowed from everything that's out there on soft skills, 21st century skills, any of these other terms. And really the term durable skills was coined to engage employers on this. Employers hate the term soft skills. They're anything but soft. We're, we're 23 years into the 21st century. So uh, durable skills became our moniker for this. Um, and the hundred terms, so each one of the terms in the middle uh, um, ring has 10 synonyms or, or complementary terms that go around the outside because what somebody might use in one of these terms versus another um, shows up differently in job descriptions. So, um, and when we, when we actually scraped those 80 million, it didn't matter whether we scraped 100 of those terms or whether we scraped 400, we still found that these are, the, these are the skills that employers are demanding. And as we look at what's happening with skills-based hiring, the more that employers are asking for skills instead of degrees, the higher the number of durable skills that show up in job descriptions. And that is also uh, has um, uh, is, is also coordinated with how what we consider would be um, jobs of the future. So low skill, low wage jobs ask for fewer of these skills. Mid skill, mid wage to high skill, high wage jobs ask for more of these skills. Uh, Tim, how how should um, how should schools and then employers use the the durable skills framework? Um, should another way to ask that question is: Should everybody be good at everything, or um, do you think about different pathways having different areas of emphasis? Is this like a toolkit that you? that you build a customized approach or is it, do you see it as generalizable in its construct? Um, more, more towards the general, what we're trying to do is help give students the vocabulary and the ability to identify what their strengths are. Um, so we want them to be able to lead with their strengths. So when we think about any type of assessment related to these skills, the idea is to be able to say, I'm good at critical thinking, collaboration, and metacognition, and to lead with those skills in either a skill-based resume or to be able, 
And these are skills that you learn across your entire life. There's not a spot at which you sort of, you, you know, one of one of the things we've been working with CompTIA, our partner on this, who was, who was thinking about assessment for the workforce, right? CompTIA does a lot of assessments as it relates to technical skills, um, is how you can bring these in to early career jobs and demonstrate that you have the skills that employers want you to be able to know and do. And do employers, if you're in manufacturing versus healthcare versus tech, want the same skills and they vary. So being able to show up and be able to demonstrate and have some validation that you have some of these skills is such an opportunity to help diversify the workforce and get students who have been left behind in a lot of other ways to be able. So if you if you don't have the technical skills, which most employers don't really expect most employees to have showing up, but they absolutely expect you to show up with some of these durable skills. We, we call them the second rung on the career ladder. And if you if you don't have these, it's really tough to build a family sustaining, family sustaining career with wages that that you can support a family on. So they're, they're critical um, to to the employers. Jim, one one of the one of the reasons that um, for lack of implementation that a, a number of people have commented on uh, is that many of these skills are challenging to assess. Um, it sounds like you're you're working with some partners on assessing durable skills in the workplace. What what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So again, our partner with this is CompTIA, and what we have started with is um, what employers expect someone to be able to know or do, and we're looking at it for their first or second job is sort of the way we've defined it, and we are bringing employers together. Uh, to fill out a rubric that that actually you could begin to assess some of these skills. The first step is, do employers agree on a common lexicon of what it means? So if somebody says critical thinking, do we all sort of think of the same thing? Um, and then things along the lines of, people want to make it, I think, a, a little more complicated than it is, a skill like risk management, which shows up. Well, risk management will show up differently on a factory floor than it would be in a, an accounting office, per se. But being able to identify what those things are, what what risk looks like is pretty universal, right? It, it's um, and then you're applying it differently, but 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 the sense of being able to sort of determine risk is not something that is that, that needs to be split, you know, a, a million different ways and and sussed out for each industry. So we're using that industry demand, that demand side, and also trying to to bring that back to the education system, to to the supply side, right. and so the question here is, so we've just looked at some of these portraits of a graduate, right, which have got a lot of these terms baked in, a lot of these skills baked in, but we're not doing anything different. And, and the, our early conversations around this with a lot of educators, we, we actually had an exchange between an, an employer and a superintendent and the, the employer said, can you focus more on, on, on skills like critical thinking? And, and the superintendent said, you know, we're asked to do so much, there's not enough time in the day to add a critical thinking course or a collaboration course or a and, and I think that's just, you know, being steeped in the box of Carnegie units and thinking that we have to have a course for each one of these things, where the best of this is absolutely embedded in the other work that you're already doing, regardless of the curriculum. And a math teacher came into us later and said, you know, I can ask a group of three students to work together to solve a math problem or a group of math problems in multiple ways and then present that, how they, those findings and how they did it to the class. And as a math teacher, I've just had the students practice 
collaboration, critical thinking, problem solving, communication skills, and they're still learning math in, in whatever curriculum, at whatever, right. whether it's fractions or whether it's trig. Um, and that's that's where we'd love to get to. Uh, Susan, I'm going to come back to your last two comments quickly, but um, Re Rebecca, I wonder if if you could comment on this question of assessing durable or transferable skills. You, you've been building and advising mastery systems around the country for 20 years with some success, as has uh, Chris Sturgis on the call. Yes, we, many many on the call. We we know some things about how to do this. What what, what would you how would you summarize the the keys to assessing the the development of these durable or transferable skills? Well, I think you you've hit it when you say transferable. I mean, I think when these are done well, they have uh, cross application, and they can certainly be pulled into things that are not content specific or content locked. So really looking at different applications. Um, we have a couple pieces we've highlighted, and people are certainly highlighting them here about when that's not done it actually is not helpful. So that moving beyond the portrait of a graduate that Tim's talking about, like really unleashing those rubrics and progressions that are not context specific, but really inviting different application, I think is the way it was intended to do. And it's also the way that we won't grow out of it. So it will grow with us as we evolve and can iterate around that. And we're inviting people to be a part of that and to really think about how can I apply this skill in this new context as things arise um, AI, if I was teaching right now, would be one of the ones I would run to right now to talk about with kids. And you could certainly apply a lot of those transferable skills that Tim's highlighted here in that discussion, as well as really talking through what does it look like to have a solutionary mindset, not rushing to solution, but what does it look like to start working towards what that could be and how it means to us moving forward. And I think when they're not context locked, that's going to happen. I, I appreciated Chris's comment about executive function. It, it seems one of the one of the opportunities here is the the metacognition about durable skills, right? Inviting kids to understand that these are important skills. Here's here's why they're important. Here's how you can develop them. Here's how you can self-assess and peer assess the development of these important skills. So just learning this language uh, of what they are, why they're important. Um, and and what a growth progression looks like feels important. Do you, do you buy that, Rebecca? Yes, I mean, I think that's the way we invite agency too. It's one thing to do a portrait of graduate work and put it up there, but it doesn't really mean anything to learners if it's not in an accessible language. And the minute we start to unpack that, we build transparency and we build engagement. So students understand what it is, they can ask about it, they have the language and the words around that piece. I think that's when it really truly becomes alive and students can own that moving forward. All right, Susan, I want to go back to the the deficit mindset. When do we do that and and how is a an asset-based approach different? Yeah, well, you know, my whole thing is that we ensure that our students graduate prepared for the future they choose. Because I think for too long our children's futures have been predetermined for them based on where they're assigned to school, based on what their course offerings are, based on what adults think about them, based on their perceptions. And we have to remove that from the equation. Um, and so there are a few things. I think, first of all, really focusing on our students' strengths and helping them. And, and you know, as I think Tim was saying earlier, helping our students understand the strengths they have and the skills they bring so that we're building their confidence um, so that they are ready to do whatever they need to do. I also think, though, Tom, that we still, you know, 
20 years ago, we're so good at swinging the pendulum way over here or way over there in public education. We've just mastered it, right? It's like we've mastered it to an art form. And of course, the best answers are usually somewhere in the middle. So, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was everyone had to go to a four-year college or bust. It was four-year college or bust. And then we realized, well, maybe that's not really the case. So I think we're in a better space now of trying to promote with our students, you know, here are all of the pathways that lay ahead of you. And here are the skills, regardless of content that, you're go that you are going to need. Where I still don't, where I still think we're doing our kids a disservice, however, is in, in really honoring and investing in all of those multiple pathways. So what I mean by that is, yes, I want all of my students to graduate with the critical thinking, collaboration, communication skills to succeed at whatever path they choose. And we have to make sure that we are celebrating our students who go straight into the workforce, prepared for the job they've chosen, who go into two or four year, who go into the military, um, and we're still not doing a good job of that. I still think we're placing different values on the paths our kids choose. And I think we have to do better at that. I just feel very passionately about this. And I'll just give a specific example. I received some money to you know, donate to my last district. And so I wanted to do a scholarship for a student at each of our graduating high schools. And working with my local schools foundation, one of the students I wanted to award the scholarship to was an extraordinary, extraordinary young woman who had chosen the military. She's going into the Navy, God bless her. And I was told, you can't give her scholarship money. What do you mean I can't give her scholarship money? That's the path that she has chosen and she is as deserving of, and quite frankly, as in need of those resources as a student going to school. So I just share that as an example that as far as we've come, I think we have still so far to go in making sure that we aren't just honoring the pathways our kids choose, but enabling them to succeed on the pathways that they choose. Thanks, Susan. Um, a lot of great comments in chat. Thank you for those. Um, question about teacher preparation, um, how we introduce these skills to teachers. Um, one of the responses was we need portraits of uh, educators as well as uh, uh, portraits of, of graduates. Um, Tim, are any thoughts on either how systems are introducing durable skills in, into uh, their frameworks or uh, any engagement with um, schools of education on this topic? Yeah, um, I, and quickly before I... I Jump into that. I wanted to comment and follow up on sort of what Susan was saying. I think that this is this is really important. Um, one of the things that's happening, right, is we see a number of states moving towards skills-based hiring. So there are now six states. Georgia has a, a bill. So right for for state jobs, unless they require a four-year degree, certain ones do. Certain certain positions do, but otherwise they're removing a four-year degree requirement. And you have a bunch of companies that are sort of looking at this as well. And as they remove that requirement. They are they are accepting. They're becoming more accepting of a lot of different certifications or stackable credentials or other things, which is fantastic for what what Susan was mentioning in terms of creating pathways for more students. What's interesting and what we keep seeing, and there was a Harvard Business Review article on this, is that unfortunately, while we can start to assess and be able to validate those those technical skills, the four year degree is still being used as the proxy for durable skills. It is just the best thing that employers have that somebody has the persistence or has had some of the experiences or has been put in the situations to develop durable skills. 
And one of the things, if we're really going to get good at this, we're going to have to figure out ways that students can demonstrate that they have the durable skills so that they can get into skill-based hiring. So, um, and then and then sort of to swing it back onto, onto the teachers is, is they're actually the masters of coming up with how to embed some of these skills in there. It's just, we have to give them some of the tools and opportunities. As soon as we share an example or two, they're running with scissors on sort of how they're going to come up with different ways to, to, to embed this. And, and that's fantastic. We wanna see more and more of that um, so that this starts to spread. There is no curriculum to teaching this. It is embedding this in, in the existing curriculum, which I said earlier. Um, Kyle Miller notes that there are, um, there, there's probably a, a 20, sometimes 30 year history of networks of schools, some charter networks, but many uh, voluntary networks that shared a learning model that uh, did a beautiful job of embedding durable skills into the learning experiences and assessing them um, really robustly with performance assessments. Uh, I think of our friends at New Tech Network, for example, um, Napa New Tech started in 1996, and uh, now there's a couple hundred schools that share um, a set of rubrics for assessing agency, collaboration, oral communication, written communication, what, what Tim, what you'd call durable skills that um, and doing that really well, really consistently um, across every single project, um, every month of school, K-12. So there, there is a good history of this. Um, ben and others have, have noticed that um, durable skills can be developed and assessed in projects and in capstones. Um, Dr. Unger. Uh, I had a chance to read your new book uh, over the weekend. You you highlight a, a lot of these schools that for 20 years have been uh, provoking deeper learning and, and assessing it thoughtfully. Any of those you want to highlight? Well, you mentioned a number of them. Wayfinding being one big thing. I think that the wayfinding, the, the ability to think about who am I and where do I want to insert myself in the world, what difference I want to make, which is part of what your book is about with uh, Emily Lee Tag. You know, I think the, the wayfinding is really critical because that is a decision I think all of us need to make, like yourself, Tom, and everybody else on this Zoom right now has basically decided the difference I want to make in the world is with our youth and, and engaging in our education systems and like uh, um, Susan, you know, the works. I mean, here we are. We're evidencing ourselves like this is we've we've come to some realization that, OK, I have certain strengths. I have certain uh, aspirations and my aspirations are to make a difference in the world. So we should look to ourselves and look in the mirror and start to say, wow, OK. But the question is. I think, and I, I'll leave it here because I don't want to take too much time. Like, I think it's kind of a neat reflection. Like, how did we each individually end up in the space that we're at? And which, what, what experiences, was it my mom? Was it my dad? Was it my schooling? Probably not. What led me to be agentic and look for opportunity and find a way to make a difference in the world as I'm doing right now. I'll say the last thing, right? We know that networkings and relationships are critical in this. And that's why we're all on this together today. 
because we know to make a difference in the world, we need to be connected and we need to work together. So that is another piece is like, who do I connect with? How do I relate with people? How do I make relationships so that I can uh, exponentiate the potential of my actions to make a difference? So thank you. No, thank you, Chris. Um, I loved your book, by the way. It'll be out soon. Get a copy. It's going to have a stirring forward. Um, What about Tim's point um, that, yeah, this is all well and good, but this is like a little zoo of unicorns. (laughs) Um, I I, I guess we're we're all here because we're interested in seeing powerful learning uh, brought to scale. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that, Tim? Yeah, I I, um, I love the stuff that's going on with Portrait of a Graduate. I think states are trying to figure out how to do it. They recognize they've they've been pretty pretty blunt that uh, that that even if they've developed a good a good POG, they don't have a good a great way of doing it. So, I mean, we are we are finding so many of our partners are on on this on this Zoom, but but around the country. I, I love that it's sort of having its moment, right? Um, a lot of this was getting employers to help us build the swell. Um, we were we were just trying to say, look, we let's point to the demand side, and if we can get the demand side right, um, there's a lot of uh, governors, legislators, employers, parents. This is motherhood and apple pie. If you don't want your kid to come home and live in your basement, these are the skills they're going to have to have. In addition to some technical skills, they're just two sides of the same coin. But but we can't only focus on the technical skills and expect kids to launch. And so um, I, you know, it's going to take a village. Um, I, the 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 examples that we have, we have to keep spreading it. Things like this that are happening are phenomenal. Um, but but it seems like it's having its moment. It's certainly uh, maybe it's maybe it's the echo chambers that I'm in. But um, it also it also definitely seems that there's more and more people who are embracing this, understanding it. And finding how it fits in the things that they're doing, which which right. um, is and, wonderful. Um, thank you, Shelley. Shelley Gates noted, uh, don't don't forget about CTE teachers that have been uh, doing this well for a long time. And um, Corey Moan and the CAPS Network is a great example of this now. Two hundred districts around the country committed to uh, to to great learning experiences for kids, um, bringing the world of work to life. Um, so Corey, thanks for that. Thank you. Appreciate it. Keep pushing. Susan, we see your hand up. Yeah, I just, this is just to add a little levity to, uh, the, this topic, which is so important, which is when we talk about the need for the soft skills that aren't so smart and especially around critical thinking, the ability to discern fact from fiction, et cetera. I tell people we bury the lead when we don't lead with these four words, jury of your peers. If you are on trial, how highly skilled do you want the people on that jury to be in determining your guilt or innocence? And I think we want kids who are highly skilled at discerning fact from fiction and can actually get to the truth and analyze it specifically. And I think we've got to find more ways to help people understand the direct link to the real world and their lives with the investment that we're making in education in this country. And we don't do a good job of that. Um, Susan, I, I want to close with um, with a, a fun um, observation from this weekend. 
Um, I, I met a lot of Hoosiers this weekend. And um, one of them was um, Eastern Hancock County. They have a beautiful portrait of a graduate, but what I really love is the design principles that they bring alongside their POG. And they say they make decisions based on, we want kids to experience joy. We want kids to experience connection. We want kids to experience growth. We want kids to be uh, successful on a path to gainful employment. And I thought this was such um, a beautiful decision-making framework. And for me, it was a way to think about how to bring a portrait of a graduate to life um, by having a shared way to say yes to things that produce joy, connection, growth, and success. So, Tim, I, I think we, we may have a zoo of unicorns, but I think the zoo is growing. I, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that more and more people are learning about your work and finding ways to, uh, to, to bring it into, into schools and that we're paying attention to, uh, you know, building those skills that matter most. And as Susan said, uh, doing it on a path uh, of their choosing. Closing uh, thoughts either from you or from Stephanie. I wonder if you want to add anything. Um, I would just echo Tom's comment about the zoo of unicorns is growing. There was some uh, comments in the chat, right? But there, this does feel like a really unique moment in time to advance this work. And so it is always exciting to be in spaces like this. But um, I think, you know, lots of people are 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 coming to the party and want to come to the party. And that makes me hopeful about what's ahead. It is Stephanie and Tim, we, we appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Um, it's, it's helping us sort of rethink what's important and the kind of experiences we need to uh, co-create with young people. We appreciate you being here. Susan, thanks for all of your comments and builds today. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.